Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to The VIP. Jazzwall Report today is not a good day for me because whenever my guest comes on this show, he just overshadows me in every way. In fact, life is so bright for him that even his shadow emanates with the light of glory and victory. He's a number one New York Times best-selling author with more than 25 books to his name. His program, The Potter's Touch, is watched by more than 5 million viewers every week. He's a Grammy Award winner. He throws one hell of a party called Megafest. And he's now moving into the talk show arena on TV. He has an uncanny knack of giving real-world advice on how to look within ourselves, rip out our instincts, and direct them to living our best life yet. It just goes to prove that life isn't fair and that we're not all born equal. If you read his last bestseller, Instinct, he said that the elephant is over there. Well, all I can say is that this elephant of a spiritual warrior, this elephant of a global teacher, is over here. All the way from Dallas to anywhere that you are, I give you the one, the only, Bishop Thomas Dexter Jakes. Welcome to the show, bro. Wow, what a great introduction. I hope that uh, this is not anticlimactic. <laughs> not as yet, and that's what she said. <laughs> no pun in intended, sir. How the devil are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm blessed. Doing wonderful. Yeah, how was that intro? How was that intro I gave you? Oh, I loved it. Did you? I, I gave you the best intros. You, you're exceptional. You're in a class all uh, by yourself. You're the greatest. You're the best. You're marvelous. I amaze myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you defined yourself as a master communicator in our last show. I thought being you is so easy. So I tried being you at home. <laughs> so when I go home, this is what I say. I don't want salad. I don't want tofu. The devil's in your dinner. You know what she says? Well, Shut the hell up. I Stop trying to be T.D. Jakes. Get off your chair. I can understand And finish that. your dinner. You're a much better <laughs> vet than you are T.D. Jakes, but, but you're good. Being you is impossible. I want you to take that as a compliment. Thank you. Now, I want to say congratulations on Destiny. I'm excited about it. It's uh, it's a, a work that I put my heart into, and I thought when I wrote Instincts, I really wasn't finished having the conversation. So this was an opportunity to continue uh, the pursuit of purpose, mm. you know, from uh, Instinct being its origin to Destiny being its ending. I think we have a comprehensive look at, at purpose that's very important. Well, you know what? You, you sent me an advance copy, and I was really thrilled, and thank you about that. Um, I actually had people from all walks of life lead, read it. Mm -hmm. I had about six to seven people read it, mm -hmm. um, and, and I asked them to give me a review. So let me give you one review from a 20-year-old guy. Okay. This is what he said. If I didn't have to give this book back to you, I would 100% keep it. It's a great reference point to look back at whenever life is moving too fast and you need to slow down and gather yourself. Excellent. I then gave it to my son. He's 15. I initially gave it as a punishment, <laughs> but he actually enjoyed reading it. And this is what he said. Destiny is a very powerful book and really makes you think about life in a new perspective. While using humor, Bishop T.D. Jakes really connects with the reader. That's a good review. Isn't that? From a 15-year-old. Give him my love. Oh, he'll take it, take it. 
Let's start with the definition of destiny because, you know, it still sort of confuses me. Is destiny a destination or a state of being or is it predetermined? I don't think that destiny is so much a geographical location so much as it is the acquisition of a fulfilled purpose. Uh, when when you think of destiny, mm. you, you you would think of destination geographically, but in reality, I think it's more of a state of being where you feel like you have finished your course, you have uh, accompl- accomplished your purpose or moved into a position whereby you can't accomplish your purpose. So there's a saying, you know, what that man proposes, God disposes. But you're changing people's mindset because in your book you state that destiny is in our own control. Is that true? I think that when it comes from a divine perspective, God is an architect. Mm. He de- he he builds by design. Right. Our will becomes a carpenter. If we don't line up with the blueprint, we mm. can't expect the right result. That doesn't mean that they can't coexist and go in two different directions. We have free will. Mm. But at the end of the day, the carpenter cannot mm. expect the result that the architect had in mind if he's not going to follow the specs of the design that the architect applied. But can you have more than one destiny? Because sometimes you can have more than one house. I think that you can have, uh, you, you have one destiny, you just fall short of it. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the fact that your destination didn't lend itself to its intended purpose is obvious. That can happen to anybody. But I, that's where I think instinct comes to play because I think that there is an inner wiring inside of us, an unsettling, a discomfort that nudges us internally to suggest that we have not reached our highest and best use. You can be used at a lower level. I could take my phone and stick it in the door to prop the door open, but that's not its highest and best use. You know, uh, there, there are many times that we are forced into what other people need us to be, but that doesn't necessarily indicate that we have achieved our highest and best use. It just means that we have been contorted into some configuration of what they had in mind when they met us. Hmm. Well, I think we all have the power to determine our destiny, but, you know, our destiny collectively is also important. And I think um, talking about that, the next president will determine America's destiny over the next four years. And I'm a little concerned because we're entering into election season. And somehow I get the the, the gut instinct that in a way we've lost the purpose of our vote because, you know, what factors should we we look for in each candidate before we cast our vote? I I wish they would let us interview the candidates rather than the political pundits and (laughs) the, the journalists and so forth and so on. Because so much of our media today is controlled by ratings and it's turned into uh, a theatrical production rather than an interrogation for a CEO. We're choosing the CEO of the nation and uh, all the glitz and glamour that has uh, enveloped our political system may mm. be a distraction from the seriousness of this position. And uh, if given the opportunity to really listen at the narrative, which is all we have to go by now since we can't actually ask the questions, we we are forced in to make a decision based on the interrogative process of the journalist to determine is this person uh, the kind of person that you feel comfortable could lead the nation. Well, yeah, I think we get distracted by the loudest voices. Yes. We get distracted uh, by even, I guess, the level of corruption and scandal. Right, that yeah. that um, some candidates represent. 
and, and the reality of which, if that were the barometer by which our founding fathers were chosen, uh, I'm not sure America would exist. Right. So today we have become so uh, focused on voyeurism into the private lives of our leaders mm. that had we used that compass years ago, um, some of the founding fathers would have been absent from the list, if not most of them. Uh, I think that when it comes down to uh, the complexities of leadership, while personal lives are certainly a consideration, the complexities of the situations that we face today deals more with aptitude, intellectualism, uh, a strong will, a sense of conscience, a moral compass whereby you can uh, really guide the nation with, with truth and clarity. And, and somebody might say, well, how can you have a moral compass about your position if you have faltered in your personal life? But the truth of the matter is all of us have faltered in our personal lives at one time or another. That does not negate the fact that we might be professional at what we do. And many times our wisdom is derived from the elixir of our past mistakes. Uh, if we were not allowed, if the baby is not allowed a chance to crawl, it will never walk. Mm -hmm. If you ask him to walk without falling, he will never stand. It is the fall that teaches him how to walk. And so life is a journey and it's processual. And I think sometimes we get so preoccupied with what you did 20 years ago, what happened or what we heard, that we're getting away from the very tough decisions. This is a critical hour for leadership. And there's some tough decisions that are required right now. And I, I hope we do exercise our right to vote and then discern deeply uh, who we vote for and why. So what are the three things we should be looking at when we cast our vote? Ooh, I'm limited to three. Uh, I, I can tell you the three things that are paramount to me. I think that we are in trouble uh, in the education of this country, mm -hmm. that we are now number 25 amongst uh, global education systems. Uh, and we used to be number one. Yes. We have dropped back to 25, and then certain uh, subcultures within our country are, are the lowest part of the 25. So I think we must overhaul our education system because that is the intellectual pool for our children and grandchildren. Those will be the doctors and the, the, the technicians and the leaders of the future. And if they are poorly equipped, then we have cursed and doomed the future of our grandchildren. So I think we have to look at the education system. Also, there is a strong link between uh, education and incarceration, which brings me to number two. We need to overhaul our criminal justice system. If we would go back into being creative with objects, we wouldn't have had to turn criminal justice into the big business that it is becoming. I think it is important that we overhaul the system because uh, prisons are being built now through uh, private sectors and uh, reaching the stock market. We're making a big business out of snatching fathers away from their families and, and disrupting communities in a way that's detrimental to us as a people and a society. And we have to be much more reasonable. We haven't developed laws, for instance, to uh, for the Internet. Mm. Our, our criminal justice system is so far behind technology and innovation today that we have a problem there. We have a problem there with our whole uh, judicial system as it relates to the impoverished getting fair 
uh, equitable trials. Uh, I think that we have to really look at some of the laws on the books and how we handle the whole criminal justice system because that is a link not only between education Mm -hmm. but to the violence that we're seeing in some of the inner city disturbances. If you've had a record, you can't vote. Uh, If you can't vote, then the politicians have no reason to think about you. You can't get a job because nobody hires you with a felony, even if it's a nonviolent crime. And number three, you can't get a place to stay. So you take a guy who can't get a job, can't get a place to stay, and can't vote and say, this is America. You can achieve the American dream. How can I? I have no place to stay. I can't get a job. Uh, I can't take care of my family. What is left for me but crime and Mm -hmm. anger and frustration? Those things have to be fixed so that we have a more stabilized society. Our society is on, on the verge of, 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 of some dangerous, dangerous road to tyranny in some regard, disrespect for authority and so forth and so on. But it is because we have not fixed things like immigration. We want to enforce the laws of immigration without fixing the process of immigration. That's ridiculous. We really need somebody who is practical and pragmatic in those areas. And so when you look at education and when you look at the criminal justice system, when you look at uh, the economy, the overall economic future of our country and the debt that we're going into, we, we need a guy who is really smart, uh, who can build a strategic plan that moves the nation forward uh, in a careful, concerted way. And then we have to be mindful of their, the emphasis on international policies and how we interact with other countries around the world. It's a different kind of world today, different kind of wars today. And I'm not sure that we have adapted to those new enemies and the shrewdness with which they infiltrate our own ranks to carry out their uh, initiatives. I look at the candidates and and, and it looks like a circus of clowns. <laughs> you know, because the way I, 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 I agree with a lot that you're saying, except the ordinary person might say, you know what, I agree with the education, I agree with the economy, definitely the international uh, image and our presence. But when they talk about the criminal justice system, for some families who don't have any contact with the criminal justice system. Sure might feel that that's not what they would be concerned about. Well, they should be concerned about it because problems you don't fix end up breaking through your windows and doors and murdering your children. So we can't afford to be oblivious and say that doesn't affect our neighborhood. Hopeless, desperate people are a threat to everybody. Mm -hmm. And secondly, since uh, there's a disproportionate amount of people of color incarcerated, not because, and the stats back me up, that they are more inclined to commit crimes, but because our judicial system uh, with its blindfold peeks out from under it uh, when it comes to people of color. Maybe not intentionally, but because of uh, poor economic realities, you can't get fair representation, and the stats say that you're seven times more likely to be incarcerated even when you commit the same crime as the white counterpart. We do need to look at that because we promised something that we didn't deliver, uh, freedom and liberty and justice for all. We promised that. And if you're going to promise something and you don't carry it out, then your integrity is compromised in a way that ought to be disturbing and upset, unsettling to all people. Right. When you consider that, the stats suggest about around 2050 or so that people of color will not be minorities, but people, uh, uh, white people will likely be minorities in this country. You have to fix the laws before they are applying to you. 
So I don't see where anybody could afford to be oblivious to it. I think all of us have to be concerned about it because it may be our children tomorrow that's uh, picked up or arrested in some drunken stupor at some college party, and and how the police handle them ought to concern us all. Mm-hmm. I read your book. Um, loved it. And I wanted some clarification. You said life is about balance. But how can you be balanced if you pursue your destiny? Because the way I see it, you need to be focused, you need to be uh, single-minded, you need to have a great resolve. And, and in a way, you know, following your destiny makes you um, selfish. So how is that balanced? Well, you know, I don't think that it necessarily makes you selfish to be focused. In reality, you have to balance. Uh, you cannot put enter into the Indy 500 and put a car on a racetrack and never stop to oil the engine or check the valves mm. or do the prep work. When I talk about balance, that I'm, I want the reader to know that rest is not a distraction from a f- focus, from ambition, from goals, that it is the wisdom of knowing that if you're going to use your body, your mind, you have to rest it. And I'm not just talking about sleep. I'm also talking about irrigating uh, your life with people who feed you rather than filling your life with people who feed off of you. Mm -hmm. That if you don't balance one, if there's more going out than there is coming in, the deficit could destroy you. And I think that there are many successful people listening to me right now who cannot figure out how could I be doing so well in my career, so well on my job, have a wonderful home, a beautiful wife, two kids and a cat, and yet I'm so miserable. And the simple answer is you're out of balance. The trauma and the stress and the people pulling on you is more than the places that feed you. Everybody around you needs something from you. Mm -hmm. After a while, when the deposits get more, uh, the withdrawals become bigger than the deposits, you're going to be bankrupt. And bankruptcy shows up in health disorders, eating disorders, uh, moral failures, all types of things are a result of simply just being bankrupt because more is going out than is coming in. I talk extensively about it in the book because I think it is very important that if you're going to reach the long-term goal, you can't approach a long-term relay race uh, running it like it's a sprint. Right. But you also believe in the power of disruption because you say it serves to create a new order from which to approach things. But doesn't that mean you have to start all over again in the pursuit of destiny because the old ways don't work? No, because the residual of what you learn from the first time prepares you for the next time. If you're not willing to, t- to challenge your ideas by disruption, mm. you will never grow. Uh, many, many times we are loyal to what was ineffective rather than willing to disrupt it or compromise it for the benefit of going forward. Uh, and I think that that is sometimes that our tradition kills revelation. It stops us from being able to being progressive because we are loyal to this work yesterday. Disrupting those things causes us to be comprehensive, it causes us to be effective, and it causes us to move forward. Uh, Had Blockbusters, for example, been willing to disrupt its way of doing business, Mm -hmm. Netflix would have never been able to come in and do what they did. You have to question yourself until you're willing to shake up the status quo and go against the grain. You can never really evolve into the company or person mm-hmm. that you're really trying to be until you challenge your own narrative and your story about yourself. When I was reading your book, I saw my own life in it because I love the, your belief that the pain of the struggle 
the mistakes along the way are really not for you to despair, but are there for you to prepare in readiness for when you arrive at your destination. The thing to me about pain is if you go to the gym and work out, mm. what really happens when you start lifting weights is you tear the muscles. <laughs> And in, in an attempt to build themselves back up, they protrude and become strong. And if you're not willing to go through all of that disruption that we just got through talking about, the pain that is associated with gain and see the benefit thereof, then mm. you'll never accomplish anything. The gym is not designed to be comfortable. It's designed to stretch you. Right. And I want people to realize that the, that the challenge that you face right now is your spiritual gymnasium. It's meant for you to work out, to work out your faith, to try your ideas, to come to conclusion. And if you go into it like it's a gym and not a resort, it won't take as long. If you understand that the trial and the test before me right now is exercise to evolve me, rather than I have been given this for my comfort, nobody goes to the gym to be comfortable. You know you're going to sweat. You know it's going to hurt. You know you're going to have to push yourself. You get in, you get out, you get through it. And if you go into it with that perspective, you can win. The problem today is people go into the gymnasium of life with a resort attitude. And if when things are not comfortable, they quit short of their destiny. It's that instant gratification Absolutely. Mindset that we're all attuned to. Instant gratification and the, the, the lack of discipline to understand that pain is a part of the process. Mm -hmm. So when they run into pain, they think they're on the wrong road and they mm -hmm. give up on the road and shift. We, I'm, I'm running into particularly people who are going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. I tried that. It didn't work. They said, I tried that. It didn't work. And then I went into this for a year or two, but I wasn't happy over there. And you meet these people who sound like they are, their resume looks like they're schizophrenic. When in reality, you can't try something and then say it doesn't work after a couple of years. It takes a long time for something to work. Consistency and commitment and focus and tenacity for it to work. And I think that if you're really going to be a person of destiny, you have to understand that that commitment requires that you endure the pain, that you prepare for the disruption, and you're ready to go through the long term to get – because without it, years ago when, when, when uh, Deion Sanders and, and Michael Smith and Emmett were uh, – Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith were first uh, coming to my church, I said, I would not insult your profession by jumping on the football field and thinking that I could be you in a year or a month or six months. Right. I'm too poorly trained. So don't insult mine by coming in here in six months and trying to preach. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. I've been doing this for 40 years. So you learn something in 40 years. And the problem today is we want everything so fast mm -hmm. that when it is not as easy as we assessed from the outside, we become discouraged and keep trying so many things that we could have wanted the first thing, right. but we gave up too soon. Now we're 10 different things in, no, no real experience in anything to become everything you want to be. And you were wondering, how could I be this smart and be this lost? And that section in the book was very enlightening to me because, you know what, it made me look forward to the struggle because I knew it had a purpose. Because, you know, the agonies of your struggle are what you need to endure in order to relish the ecstasy of your destiny. Let me tell you something. My destiny sits flat-footed on the agony of my history. I remind my destiny every day of what I survived in my history. 
and I reminded that I, it made me tough and it made me resilient. And whenever I need strength to fight what's in front of me, mm-hmm. I look back at what was behind me, and I understand that I didn't come this far to let this thing throw me now. And, and because we live in a society where encouragement is so difficult to find, even from those who are closest to us, Oh yeah. That to find that that leverage, and that's what it is. It's just leverage. Leverage enables you to lift something that you shouldn't be able to lift, but it's how you position it to be able to move it. And if you will shift your thinking just a little bit, things that you couldn't endure before, you can now put leverage on it by changing your perspective on the life you had. I tried it before it didn't work. Every time I do it, it fell. Listen at the garbage you're feeding yourself. If you reposition how you talk to yourself, you can get leverage on something that maybe you couldn't lift before, but your attitude gives you leverage to, to, to lift up to the highest latitude the thing that you're trying to raise. And also one thing in the book that I sort of, you really got me thinking now. Um, <laughs> never own your weaknesses, your sorrows, your poverty, because it's in a way an anchor that keeps you in your misery, right? Mm-hmm. It, is, it is indeed. I think that uh, you can go down as long as you don't believe you're down. When, when you get so far down that mm. you become comfortable with down, when it becomes when you start putting a lazy boy chair in the depression, when you start putting that whole I'm this I guess this is all there is for me, and you accept it, you are defeated. I, I went in my house one day. I had lost my job. Uh, they had shut down the plant I worked for. I had run out of unemployment. I had two little kids. I had a wife. Couldn't keep all my utilities on. And I walked in the house and I said, "To my house, you're lying on me." I don't believe you. I'm a better man than what you say I am. I will not stay here. This is not mine. When I say don't own failure, mm-hmm. if I would have accepted that as my destination, my destiny, I would probably be there today. I broke out of it because I said this is not mine. I did not own the failure. If you own the failure, nobody will ever love me. I guess I'll mm-hmm. always marry and divorce. I, I I bet I'll never be happy. These things that we say to curse ourselves, what we're doing is signing the deed on a death certificate that we say we don't want. What did you feel like the day you left that house for the better house? Happy and scared. Because you can want something, and then when you're confronted with it, be afraid, do I have what it takes to maintain it? Right. See, the thing about when you start thinking about destiny, look at the journey. The journey, it it sounds better in retrospect than it does in real-time speed. In real-time speed, while you're glad to get out of the whore you knew, you wonder about the whore you're walking into. Because it's a different set of qualities you need, a different set of skills. Absolutely. And that that is the challenge. If you're opening up another restaurant, if you're opening up another business, if you're opening up uh, another healthcare facility, the fear of the future is real, even when the future looks bright. So just because just because things are going well doesn't mean that you don't have stress. You you can be just as stressed in good times as you are in bad times. Will it last? Will they stay? Do I have what it takes? These inner naggings become the cancer of the soul. All of that energy invested in that is being robbed from your creativity. 
And I had to learn how to focus on the creative part rather than the destructive. That's a demolition crew. They come to tear down. I need the construction crew that comes to build. I can't have demolition and construction going on at the same time on the same lot. And the struggles and your mindset was what you needed to prepare you for the next destination. Absolutely. It, it, it does prepare you. It gives you the precious uh, ointment of experience. Mm. It, it, it doesn't matter that you, don't, that you don't know what will work. You do know what won't work. Right. What, 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 what won't work is what you did before. So we can X that off. <laughs> and by the power of deduction, we can come to some conclusions in what I talk about in the book, the power of focus. The focus is so powerful that you can, you can take an ant walking uh, across the pavement in and, and 90-degree weather, and the ant can exist, and the sun can exist, and the pavement can exist until one of them focuses. You take a magnifying glass, and all of a sudden it causes the light to focus on the ant, and the ant burns up through focus. Okay? The same temperatures exist, but now the light is focused and it creates fire. Anytime you focus, you're going to be more effective than if you didn't. And the opposite of focus is distraction. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome the naysayers? Because sometimes, you know, the haters in your journey of destiny are, sometimes, are, are people sometimes closest to you. And I found in life that friends love you for who you are now. But I've always sort of respected my haters in a twisted sort of way because um, I guess they hate you for what you potentially can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how do people dissect who's good for them and who's not? Uh, if being with you doesn't feed where I'm going, uh, enhance who I am or feed where I'm going, then I don't need to be with you. Uh, if if your wisdom and your advice is not helping me to move toward my destiny, then I need to let you go. See, knowing where you're going determines who gets to ride. Right. If you don't know where you're going, anybody can ride because you're probably going around in circles and you ought to be a carnival. Mm. If you know where you're going, this plane is going to Chicago. Anybody not going to Chicago needs to get off right now. And that's what you need to do with your life periodically. I am going this way. Anybody that's not going this way, you, I'm not saying you're not a great person. I'm not saying you're not wonderful, but you can't ride with me because I am clear about my destiny. Once you know your destination, you can choose, you can choose your passengers much more adeptly than you could before. So in a way, knowing your destiny is actually therapeutic for your soul because it clears your vision. Absolutely. You're able to see people for who they are, right. how they can help, and right. how much they can support you. Paul told Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Mm. You can't say that if you don't know what your course is. You have to know that. You have to know what you're supposed to do. The last line of Nelson Mandela's biography that he gets, he says, I, I walked all the way to the top of the hill, climbed all the way to the top. And at the apex of the hill, he said, I looked out and saw that there were more hills to climb. So I thought I'd sit down here and rest a while. <laughs> Once you understand where you are and what you were to do, that's not to say that there won't be more hills to climb, and it may not be for you to climb them, but you know what your hill was, 
and you climbed all the way to the top of it, you can sit and rest. You don't wander to the pinnacle of a mountaintop. You have to be a mountain climber to really get into high altitudes. You don't find anybody just wandering to the top of Mount Everest <laughs> because wanderers will never climb that high. The only people who climb that high are people who are intentional. So in the book, I talk about being focused because I want to appeal to people who are intentionally successful, however you define success, mm. whether that's education, whether that's family, whether that's finance or all of the above, you will not get there wandering on a Sunday stroll. You must be focused and you must be intentional to reach your destiny. Can someone's success prevent them from achieving their destiny? Let me give you an example. And I think we had a chat about this yesterday. A garbage collector runs a garbage collecting business. Multimillionaire, doing very well, has, you know, the home, the cars, everything. Um, he might not want to achieve his destiny because he is successful. He doesn't want to give up the money that he's making. So can your success prevent you from your destiny? Yes, I guess it could if you didn't know one from the other. I, I am not suggesting that destiny is always enveloped around economy. Uh, see, I think that's where we get off the track. Destiny, whereas you may have stabilized your income and been very successful in mm -hmm. your business, but there may be a destiny call on you to work with youth or to to work with starving children in Biafria. It doesn't mean he has to shut down the garbage collecting company. Right. But it does mean that he needs to clear his schedule enough that he can commit some of his time in doing what he is, what he is designed and destined to do, rather than focusing on what he has had to do historically. And, and uh, Bob Buford wrote a great book uh, years ago called Halftime. And he wrote it to CEOs who had reached the apex of their careers and were saying, I'm up here and, and, and now there's nothing to do. And I, and I need purpose over profit. Okay. Because the pursuit of one is not the guarantee of the other. So if you pursue profit, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're fulfilled with purpose. And so you're starting to see more and more CEOs become involved in the community or give backs because they understand the distinction between profit and purpose. Are they also doing it because it looks good in the media? Some of them are, absolutely. But some of them are, how much money can you make? How many cars can you drive? How many houses can you own? At a certain point, even the most greedy people have to come and say, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. Uh, there is the rich feeling that comes from helping somebody who needs you of touching another life that answers the question that we all are haunted with. Am I really a good person? Or am I just a rich person? Or am I just a handsome person? Or am I just a sensual person? That we, we, we would like to think that at our core we're good people. But whether we are or not, there is that need to say, I did something that mattered that was not uh, so uh, self-enthroned. Right. You know, that, 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 that I gave something back, that my life 
meant something. And I think that this is the contemplation of older men, not younger ones. I think the younger ones are preoccupied with, with getting to a place called there. But once you get there and you see that there's a lot of mountains, as Nelson Mandela said, left to climb, you, you begin to question, what was that all about? And you want to make the second half of your life mean something. And so you go for the purpose. And what I love about going for the purpose is that if you go for the purpose, the prophets will chase you. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but if you go, to the, go for the prophets, the purpose may evade you. But I do find that, you know, what you're talking about young people going through their stage in life where they want to get there or be it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very valuable aspect in your journey of life. Absolutely. Because sometimes I think realizing that it was nothing, you've had to have been there yes. to realize the value of nothing. Well, it is the purpose of spring. Right. It is what makes the buds and blossoms and leaves come out. It is, it is taking the sap that ran up the tree and making it show in a way that people can see. You're supposed to do that in springtime. Mm. The question is, are you supposed to do it in fall and are you supposed to do it in winter? And some species of trees say, I can be green all year long. And some know the benefit of giving up the fruit for the overall good of the property. So the leaves fall and feed back. It's reciprocity, giving back to the ground they gave to it. There comes a point that you want to give back and leave the door open for somebody else. That's not the contemplation of a 20-year-old. That's the contemplation of somebody that's older. That's what you think about in the fall. Can you achieve your, do you believe you can achieve destiny in one's lifetime? Mine. Um, Not yours. I'm just saying in general. When people are reading the book, are you saying to people that they can achieve their destiny in I their lifetime? I think they can achieve their destiny. Right. But I, mu- I must caution you that you will see further than you will ever be able to reach. My arms are not as long in, in, in their length than mm. my eyes are in their vision. Vision is always longer than reach. And that's why we have sons. And that's why we have successors, so that we set the compass and we see the goal, but you will always see further than you will go. I wish you hadn't said that because that's so profound, because my next question was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Did I throw you off there? It's not easy. Ladies and gentlemen, I threw VIP off. I want everybody to jot this down. This doesn't happen every day. Okay, we've been talking a lot of times. He doesn't, he doesn't get a blank stare back oh too often. God, the Lord shows me no mercy. I was going to say, because what happens when you have achieved your destiny? Because there's nothing left to life. No, that's not true. But then, I mean, you said that, and I want to take it to you. Um, are you achieving your destiny or are you achieving success? Because you're hitting gold in everything you do. Does that take you away from what your original destiny might have been? My destiny, I think is I to would, help me find mine. Yeah, I heard yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, my destiny is to help you find yours. But, but that, how? That, you're going to do that through certain steps, your <laughs> books, your TV <laughs> show, your, mm-hmm. your sermons. Mm-hmm. What other results or fruits of your work? What are the other fruits that are going to help us? I think, I think that my, my fruit will be born to the people who heard me. All right. uh, some of them I haven't even met. I just came from a book signing where people were standing there in tears and saying, I started my business because of something you read. I, I, one lady said I was suicidal and something you said 
change my mind. Uh, that's fruit. That's purpose. Isn't that also success? That success is not about money. Don't, don't get me wrong. Success right. is about, you know, when you feel good when you've helped someone, mm-hmm. you've, 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 you've felt that your purpose has been successful. Mm-hmm. Purpose only. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, I, I wish someone would say that to me, but they won't. Um, but... <laughs> um, but do you find as you're getting more and more successful, is it changing your destiny? I think what, no. I, you no, started no. on the pulpit? Mm-mm. I think, no, no. I think my destiny was set before. Uh, people have a tendency to, do, to define you by how they met you. But my destiny, nothing about my life has surprised my God. Nothing about my much of what has happened in my life, mm. uh, I have seen it before I got to it. So uh, the fact that I started in this and went to that and then went to the other is not a sign that my destiny changed by vocation. Mm-hmm. When what I focus in the book on, I talk about the steps of destiny. Right. And see, the steps of destiny are very, very important that it's not an elevator, it's not an escalator, it's a process. And today we don't like process, but it is process. It is always when you're walking upstairs. It's not the step that you step on that creaks. It's the one you step away from. So as you lift your weight off of where you've been, that's when the creak occurs. Okay? <laughs> so what I'm saying is you as you prepared to the show, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to you. I know to be ready. But when you step away, it's the group you leave who hates you. It's never the group you're going to. It's the group you leave who hates you. It's 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 the woman you had. It's 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 whatever you the community you walked away from. That resentment that makes the floor creak. But those are steps. Right. And I, I want to say particularly to those of you who are climbers, mountain climbers is our metaphor, or going up the steps of your life, don't let the creaking stop you. Uh, don't be distracted by the pestilence that comes from those who no longer feel the warmth of your weight in their circle. It's natural for them to scream out, to criticize, and to creak when you step up. But your journey cannot be compromised by the noise behind you. It must be validated by the light in front of you. What message would you give to young people in terms of what's the danger of not pursuing your destiny? Oh, I think it's absolutely terrible not to pursue it because almost every venomous, vicious, hateful a vengeful person I have ever met is somebody who never found fulfillment in their own life and hate they hate anybody else who does. Mm-hmm. I think that if you want to be uh, acrimonious and you want to reach the point in your life that the acidity of your of your taste buds is filled with the venom of regret, uh, that only occurs when you have not accomplished your own goals. You can clap for me better when you have done things for yourself that makes you and validates you as an individual, you're free to give up yourself. Mm -hmm. So I would say to young people, go for it. Answer your questions. My goal was never to end up sitting on a bedpan in a nursing home with the question over my head that said, what if? I cannot help getting old. It's inevitable. It is the gift of having survived. 
But to get old and wonder what I could have been if only I had done blank is a hell that is so unbelievable it may even cancel out the, the horror of hell itself. So the two words, if only, if you're using those two words mm -hmm. in your life, mm -hmm. you're not really achieving your destiny. Absolutely not. You, you want to close every door. You know, some of the things I'm doing right now, I don't know whether they're going to work or not, but I will answer my question. I will not be an old man sitting in a nursing home wondering what would have happened if, I, if only I had had the courage to step a little further. Answer those questions that are most important to you. Mm -hmm. It's okay for it to fail. It's not as bad for it to fail as it is for you to wonder about it the rest of your life. To me, that is worse than whether I win or lose. I will live with the question mark that if I had swung harder, I'd have knocked the ball out of the park. Let me swing at it. Let's see what happens. Batter up. Here I go. Well, what happens? Taking it from there, there's a lot happening. Megafest? <laughs> Your TV show? Yeah. There goes my job. <laughs> now, Megafest, how's that coming along? Megafest is doing really well. Uh, as you know, it's a family festival, August 19th through mm. the 23rd. We're having it in Dallas, and people from all walks of life. you almost full house? Yeah, we're almost full house now. So and people better get their tickets? Yeah, if they're going to register. See that they, subtle advertising yeah, they do I for you? It. You know me. You're a good yeah. lord. <gasps> TV guy. show. Yeah, the TV show. Now, baby. how come I'm not a guest? Uh, you know what? I put the spectacle in spectacular. Never say never. You know. We just I would not, show you theatrics that you wouldn't believe. We have just not found the appropriate role for a person of your stature and character, but we are on the hunt, sir. The saint and Satan. <laughs> one studio, one show. <laughs> but tell me, what's it about? I mean, you're obviously We're, there are links from judging from your Facebook uh, clips and things like that. You're talking about topics that have to do with people's destiny. A little bit on instinct. Yes, we are. Go for it. We're, we're talking. We're talking to people who are stuck on the road to destiny. Mm. We're talking to people who are overworked on the road to destiny. We're talking to people who were successful in their career, but they have completely demolished their personal lives. Uh, there are all kinds of maladies on the highway, and we're going to deal with all of them. They're primarily ordinary people. We're going to do some celebrities when their lives Thank be you. become interesting. Yeah, we left a few slots open for you. Uh, <laughs> but but we're really going to be doing some things that I think are innovative. I think that there's a gap in what's on television right now, and I think that I will provide a different perspective. Are you taking off from where Oprah left off? I don't think anybody can do that. Uh, I don't think that there'll ever be another Oprah, and, and I don't think there'll ever be another Dr. Phil or another Steve Harvey. Uh, what I bring is T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes. And, I, and you're producing this as well. Yes, right? yes. And, and, and that's what I love about it, because as a producer involved with the project, I have a strong say-so in the content and the direction thereof, and I want to make sure... Mm. That we are able to do something with TV that I think would be edifying and entertaining. And I may get out there. They may not like it. They may not work at all. But then tell me, just give me a quick rundown. What are the 
four or five different themes that each show is going to have? Well, you can't be guaranteed of that. They will vacillate. For instance, we just did a, a show where we begin to uh, interview uh, the mothers of the highly publicized uh, murders that mm-hmm. have been occurring on the streets and the maladies, uh, the Mike Browns and the Trayvon Martins and, and, and their mothers. We're just the mothers. That's a very powerful show. It was a very powerful show. And we begin to talk to them as women, as mothers. Who's, who have had your sons or daughters snatched out of your arms? How how do you cope with that, and how are you getting by that? And we got a transparency that is seldom seen. I think people are really going to be riveted by that show. But you might turn on the next day, and I, I had uh, a sex addict on there, <laughs> and I'm talking to him about his life and his marriage and getting him to come to grips with some things. So I've been doing pastoral counseling for almost 40 years, so it's an opportunity to do what I do anyway. Is your counseling just from the religious perspective or also a practical, pragmatic perspective? It's practical, pragmatic. Sometimes it's a religious perspective. It depends on what the subject matter is. And more times than not, my show is designed to be a voyeur looking into the lives of other people, hunting for truths that are uh, applicable to a wider audience than just the one sitting in front of me. So for me, the person's life is a canvas on which I want to paint a principle for the viewing audience outside that they can extract from it what is appropriate to them and use it in their own lives. So your show is unique in a way that you're going to have the moral of the story with it. Absolutely. Absolutely, because it serves no purpose if we're just looking through the window for no reason. Then why, why would we? Well, we're so used to doing that these days. Yes, you look at true. reality shows, and there's, right. you, know, you, you watch something, and you say, well, okay, she wore a new dress. She's upset that she didn't get invited to lunch, but what's the moral of the story? You know what I mean? That's if you're a thinking person. And, and, and I can't help but appeal to a certain level of intellect right. be, because anything less than that is kind of boring to me. And yet I want to do it in a fun way, and I want to do it in a way that you can run the vacuum cleaner at 3 o'clock in the afternoon before you run out to pick up the kids and still enjoy what I have to say. So I'm not trying to be heady, but at the same time, I don't want to dumb down television until it melts into the ability of ignorance. Well, personally, I can't wait. I really can't. Now, um, on Facebook, I saw you were getting people ready for the show. So you had this little segment going on about getting to know Bishop T.D. Jakes. Mm -hmm. And it was crazily simple. Mm -hmm. You know, simple questions like what you eat, what's your favorite food, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd do the same thing. Okay. But I'll go a little deep. That's how I do what I do like I do, baby. You all set? I'm going to start off with one of the questions you did answer on that particular clip. It says you like to swim, so I'm going to go gentle on you. So do you wear shorts, bikini briefs, or Speedos? I mean, you know, well, you... It depends <laughs> on the occasion. My kind of guy. <laughs> European style? Uh, it is your swimming pool after all. Yeah, that's why I said it depends. It depends, okay. <laughs> I thought we get some sexy Jakes on, you know. Yeah. All right, so... Um, With the belly. What's your nickname at home from Sarita? What does she call you? Boo-boo? Belli- babe. Babe? Mm. Not big boy? <laughs> Little boy, then. Babe. Babe. Okay. <laughs> Mine is Janene. She says I have real attitude. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I will touch But you know that. what? You know what? Both our wives have something in common. They have impeccable taste in men. I agree with you there. Which decade is your favorite? 70s, 80s, 90s, or the one we're presently in? Come on, Tilly, uh, we ain't got all that's, day. That's really hard for me. I'd, I'd say um, the 90s. 
Why? That's when everything broke open. That's when things started uh, exploding. That's when I realized. When the agonies of your struggle became the ecstasies of where you were going to get to. Yeah. I knew who I was. Right. <laughs> I grew so up. you had to endure. You had to go through the patience game as well. Absolutely. Right. Okay. If life is so short, why do we do so many things we don't like and like so many things we don't do? I think that we have drank the Kool-Aid that we cannot enjoy what we do, that we are exiled to mm. this life of uh, misery and agony in, in such a way that we can't be released from it. And I just don't think that's true. I think that it's possible to work hard and play hard. I do believe you. one rises to their level of incompetence. <laughs> what do you think is your level of incompetence? What is my level of incompetence? Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm incompetent about. Uh, one That's of, what my wife says about me. <laughs> one of the things, I think that I'm a better builder than I am a maintainer. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the charge. I like the fight. I like the hunt. I like the acquisition. But I have to have systems up under me to maintain what I build because once it gets down to maintenance, for me, it tends to be a bit boring. Boring. So you're not really a chief operating officer. No. You'll always be the CEO. Absolutely. Great. Okay. What's the one thing you'd most like to change about the world? Not the Americas, but the world. Come on, Teddy. Our, our, our ability to search for the common good. I think <laughs> that that would be the thing I would most want to change about the world. I think that we are so focused on what divides us that we have ignored what unites us. Right. Are you more worried about doing things right or doing the right thing? I think doing things right is the right thing. <laughs> Would you rather be a worried genius or a joyful simpleton? <laughs> I think I'd rather be a worried genius. I thought you'd say that. I'm back. I'm back. Yep, yep. Has your greatest fear ever come true? No. What was your greatest fear? It depends on what stage of life I was in, but it never came true at any stage. And, and But it, there's always, and that is as much a confession as it is a statement. First, I confess to the fact that I lived all of my life with greatest fears. Right. But in the same breath, I also, none of them ever happened. Who would you like to counsel today if you could? Camille Cosby. Why? I think that, I think she's interesting. Uh, she, we don't see her face mm -hmm. in the limelight, yet she ran his business. Right. I, I would love to know how much of you is CEO and how much of you is wife, mm -hmm. and how do they resonate in times of conflict and turmoil like what they face right now. I, I would love to interview you. What's the difference between being alive and truly living? I think, well, to be alive is just existing. As long as there's a beep on the monitor, you are alive. But truly living is maximizing being alive. So what's the difference? When you maximize being alive, you live life to the fullest. You are present in the moment. You're happy. Yeah, 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 present in the moment. And, and the really, but, but you know, I want to go a little further than that because sometimes being present in the moment, you might not be happy. But when you are not happy, be there. But you show know when up. you're not happy, it's exactly what you were saying on the show, in that you're on that journey. Mm -hmm. So the, the little dips that you take mm -hmm. are not really going to take you away from the ultimate heights at which you're going to be. It is important that you be present in the moment. One of the hardest things 
uh, to do is to be present in the moment without being worried about the future or, or concerned about the past, but to be where you are mm-hmm. in life right now, present in the moment. Because if you don't breathe it in right then, whether it's sorrowful or not, it might be bereavement. Right. But if you don't get it out when you're supposed to, it's going to come out in a negative way. Be wherever you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. And when you are there, be fully there. And if it's not worth being fully there, don't go there at all. Are you always learning, Bishop? Every day of my life. What did you learn on this show? To be careful of you. You know, you always kind of go off tracks into that <laughs> Vegas strip bowl sort of thing. And I'm trying to keep my job when the interview is over. So I learned to do defense and offense when I interview with the famous Vip Jaswell. Well, sir, I wish you all the best and God bless for where can we get the book? Wherever books are sold, mm-hmm. uh, it just hit the streets, uh, and it's wherever books are sold, Barnes and Nobles, Walden's, Walmart, Kmart, any mart, my mart, go to my website, anywhere you want to go, tdjs.org. Uh, the book is called Destiny, and uh, I think that it will uh, really speak to your life. It steps into finding your purpose. And Megafest. Megafest, August 19th through the 23rd in Dallas, Texas. More information, mega-fest.org. I'd love for you to come. We'd love to have you. And the show. The show. T.D. Jakes, the show. We've got, you can follow us on Facebook. I call the people who follow me on Facebook as well as my live audience, The Village, because it, Daddy says it takes a village to raise a child. I want you to be a part of my village. I want to hear your comments. I want to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you. In fact, I'd love for you to hit me up at Bishop Jakes on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'm there, at Bishop Jakes. Uh, I want to meet you. Well, we've come to the end of the show. I'm going to give you the honor of taking us out of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I leave you in the capable voice of Bishop T.D. Jakes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bishop T.D. Jakes signing off from the VIP Jazzwell Report. Thank you for listening. The book Destiny is out, so go get yours and be nice to someone you love by getting them one as well. A special shout-out of thanks to the wonderful Regina Lewis for making this show happen. And, of course, VIP's dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Boozer. Make sure you follow VIP on Twitter and Facebook. If my instincts are correct, your destiny will lead you back to the VIP Jaswell Report next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Radio. Until then, give the Lord some praise and give him your prayers in his glory. Here's wishing you and yours a productive and a happy week ahead.